Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. If you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to grab them, your journals as well. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 4. And also, in just a minute, well, a couple minutes, uh, maybe more like 30 minutes, uh, we're going to partake of communion together after our Bible study. So that's a great opportunity to really just kind of get our hearts right uh, with the Lord. It's a fresh start to reflect on Jesus' sacrifice. But we are continuing our study through the book of Daniel a series that we've entitled Dare to be Different because what we see in this book are young men, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who take bold and courageous steps of faith to resist the pressures of their world and culture and really make an impact uh, in their lives for Jesus and for God. And uh, so... We have been following along as actually very famous passages. In fact, last, cha- last chapter and last week, we looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, in the fiery furnace, how they were unwilling to bow down to uh, the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. And they said to the king, well, we're not going to worship your gods. And God is able to deliver us from your hands. And then they said, but if not, let it be known that we're going to worship the Lord and serve him only. And I think those three words, but if not, are pretty remarkable because they really trusted God with the final outcome. They, they believed and, and knew that God was able to deliver them, but sometimes God's plans are a little bit different than our plans. And sometimes they turn out a little bit different than ours, and they're usually always better than the way we have planned it or figured it out. But sometimes it's uncertain and bumpy and uh, we talked about how the testing of our faith is often tried by uh, fire that we go through times of of testing and of pressure and of trials and of uh, persecution and of difficulties and hardships so that God can um, refine and correct um, our faith and in fact as the story continues on in this chapter uh, we see that happen for King Nebuchadnezzar and we were talking a little bit about the progression of King Nebuchadnezzar's discovery of really con- conversion and, and confession personally, submission ultimately, to God as the Most High. And we're going to see that come to uh, you know, a climax today where at the end of this chapter he converts and confesses and submits to the authority of God. But it takes quite a bit of, of punishment and correction in King Nebuchadnezzar's life uh, to be able to see this. So the title of the message today is The Perils of Pride, and that's just kind of to get us thinking about the themes that are presented in Daniel chapter 4, this idea of pride, because we see that King Nebuchadnezzar is full of this pride, even though he has uh, been humbled and experienced some of the mighty wonders and works that God has done through Daniel in uh, interpreting the dream of this great statue and in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in being delivered mightily from the fiery furnace, uh, we still 
see this type of pride. And so the point that we want to remember today is that the smallest of pride can destroy the greatest of people. I mean, here King Nebuchadnezzar is the greatest, most powerful person, arguably at this time, on planet Earth, Babylonian Empire. Even the greatest of people can be taken down by the smallest of pride. And we're going to see this unfold for us in three ways, just a very simple outline. One, we're going to see the vanity or the pride of King Nebuchadnezzar. Secondly, we're going to see how God punishes or corrects this pride through uh, his insanity. And uh, then thirdly, we're going to see the humility of the king as he converts and confesses God. And it got me thinking, um, you know, a couple of years back when we moved uh, to Alpine, we, we moved out to Hopatool Valley, and we, we really fell in love with our property because it was in the middle of, uh, of this oak grove. And so there's hundreds of oak trees uh, out uh, where we live, and it's really beautiful. Um, and many of these trees are very large, uh, big legacy oaks, if you're familiar with, you know, uh, out there, uh, even, even here in, uh, more in town. And uh, there, was this, there was this one tree that's a very big, large. I mean, the, the trunk was probably five foot round and, uh, you know, 100 feet tall. And we noticed uh, uh, early on that the top of the canopy was kind of thinning. It was lo- losing its leaves. And there was like some, uh, some, some holes and some dripping in the trunk. And so we didn't think anything of it. We were kind of new to the area. But uh, a couple of years later, we noticed that it was continuing to die. And ultimately, and finally, it, it, it died. And the bark was starting to fall off and it lost all of its leaves. And, uh, you know, we were talking with somebody about that. And they were saying, yeah, that's probably the beetle. And, you know, based on the temperatures and things, there's these small little beetles. Uh, that burrow their way into these trees, these massive, huge, I mean, think about oak trees. They're so dense and so strong and so powerful, and they live hundreds of years. And yet, this mighty oak tree was taken down by this small little beetle that burrowed its way into the bark and destroyed the vitality and the health. In fact, we actually cut down this tree probably about four feet from, from the ground, and remarkably, it grew back. So if you remove the disease then, uh, you know, life can come back. Now, I think that's pretty interesting. One, because in this chapter, we see that King Nebuchadnezzar has a vision of a tree that's cut down, but the stump is left. But also, I think it serves as a great analogy for how this type of of pride can burrow its way into our hearts and into our lives. And, you know, over the course of time, it can destroy our, our health and our vitality and wither us to the point of just collapsing and, and dying. And so we're going to see that as, as the king experiences this and is really humbled by the Lord. And sometimes God will correct us. He'll discipline us, uh, not to destroy us. I mean, God's not going to you know, necessarily take you out in a sense, and I don't want us to confuse that with salvation, because the Bible says that if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has passed away, and all things become new. There is therefore now no condemnation uh, for those who are in Christ Jesus. So our 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 salvation and is is secure, so that we are no longer under the destructive judgment of God. However, because He loves you and you're a part of the family of God, He is going to discipline you, and He will from time to time prune you and cut you in ways that will bring about his glory. Because maybe there's some things in our lives that aren't pleasing to the Lord. And so, well, we got to prune here and cut there so that we can produce more fruit. 
And I like the pruning and the cutting. They're small little cuts, and I can deal with that. But sometimes God just has to hack us. <laughs> you know what I mean by that? It's just cut off big portions of things in our lives that we have just poured so much into that are not pleasing to him. In fact, Dan is going to go on to say, King, I know this is serious, but you should break your sin off right now. And so uh, there's a lot to get to, and maybe that's a word for all of us today whether it's uh, a discipline or a correction that God wants to teach and show us. Look with me in Daniel chapter 4, verse 1. There's actually a lot of verses here, so we won't be able to read all of them for sake of time. But uh, Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. So this is a first-hand account. He's giving testimony in fact, of his experience, so ahead of time. He's get, this is just a great thing. I love verse 2 because it is really good to declare the goodness of God. It's just, I mean, we've been doing this already. You can do that in your prayers. You can do that in worship. But I think uh, there's a song that's uh, out on K-Love. That we always have K-Love or some Christian music in our car when we're, when we're driving around. Um, and uh, so it says something to the effect of worship, may not move the mountains, but it's good for the soul. <laughs> and I think I just love that verse because it just gets us focused on the Lord. And here he's just declaring the signs and the wonders. We could spend, you could spend a, a whole day just talking about God's goodness and God's wonders and God, God's great. Just write those things down and maybe sh- sh- share them. Uh, verse three, how great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, his dominion. Is from generation to generation. And I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid. And the thoughts of my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Now, this is kind of crazy to me because if you've been with us, we know that he tried this before and it didn't work. He had a dream of a golden, this image of a head of gold and all these things. And he was troubled by it. And he, he looked to uh, other people, the magicians, the wise men, you know, quote unquote wise men in, in, the, in the empire. And they couldn't answer. They couldn't solve. They didn't have any solution. So I don't know why he's continuing to turn back. Probably because he hasn't fully surrendered and submitted to God. Uh, because we just try to solve things in our own ability, our own strength, or we try to cope with the problems or the troubles that we have in life, and they're just, they just never satisfy. So it's just, it's, it's just an interesting cycle that this king is on. Therefore I issued this decree. They came, look, verse 7. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream but they did not make known to me its interpretation. Now, the wording of this is interesting. It's not that they didn't know the interpretation. They did not make it known. Now, later on, we come to find out that Daniel steps in, and he gives the interpretation, and he's very troubled by it. He's very concerned. Why? Because this dream that he has is about himself, and it's about him being humbled and cut down by God for seven years so that he would recognize and understand that the most high Rules from heaven, the kingdoms of men. And so they were afraid, probably. They didn't want to say this to the king, and they just punted it to Daniel. But at last, Daniel came before me. I wonder why that is. At last, should have been first. Daniel, at last, came before me. His name is Belshazzar. According to the name of my God, 
In him is the spirit of the holy God. And I told the dream before him saying, it's interesting that other people can see the Holy Spirit working in your life. Uh, We don't have time to talk in great detail about the significance and the importance of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But here we see this man. We also see in the New Testament, uh, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, used by God, very faithful to the Lord. We also see in the Old Testament, men and women filled with the Holy Spirit for certain works that God was calling them to do. The Holy Spirit's the comforter. He's the counselor. So if Daniel is going to give counsel to the king, he needs the one who knows all things who has known the mind of the Lord or offered him any counsel. And so the Holy Spirit knows the mind of Christ. He's the counselor and the comforter and the helper. Holy Spirit also gives us power in Acts 1.8 to be effective witnesses. So there's the anointing of the Holy Spirit in each one of our lives as Christ's followers. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit and you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, I pray for that not only in my life, but for our team and our leaders, our other pastors here, um, our volunteers, people, whoever I'm praying with. I try to pray that God would fill them with the Holy Spirit because if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then he's the one that's leading and guiding you. And Jesus says, it's good that I go away because when I go away, I will send another and another is the Holy Spirit. So when you have the Holy Spirit in your life, you have the fruit of the Spirit and you're, and you're walking in step with the Holy Spirit. That's really hard to do because I, I don't walk in step with the Holy Spirit all the time. I walk in my steps. I walk in my ability or my thinking. I get into the flesh like that battle that talks about in the scriptures where if we satisfy the flesh, there's you know, rage and anger and selfish ambition and pride and all these sort of things. But if you walk in the Spirit, then there's the fruit of the Spirit and love and joy and peace and patience, all these good things. And so if we're walking in the Spirit, there should be less of the flesh and more of the fruit. It's not that we're going to be perfect in all these things, but I hope that there's more fruit coming because Jesus says, if you abide in me and I in you, because I'm the, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And he who abides in me will bear much fruit. And, you know, as Jesus is the vine dresser, he's going to prune like we talked about so that we would bear this uh, type of fruit. So he's full of the Holy Spirit. But notice what he says here. He's named after, because you, you remember that these boys who were brought into captivity from Jerusalem were given these different names, Belshazzar, in the name of my God. And that's pretty interesting because it's going to completely change. Because he's been saying up until this point, oh, your God, Daniel, is mighty and powerful. Oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God is mighty and powerful. And yet, we also see that this king has his God, Belshazzar. That's going to change dramatically at the end because he's going to discard Belshazzar, this idol, this false god, for the one who reigns and rules from heaven. Belshazzar, verse 9 chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and no secret troubles you. Explain to me the vision of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. A tree grew, it became strong. Its height reached to the heavens. And it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and it was food for all. And the beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of heaven dwelt in its branches and all flesh fed from it. And I saw in the vision of my head while on my bed there was a watcher, a holy one. Most scholars believe this is some type of angel. Coming down from heaven, he cried out with a loud 
voice and said thus, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump. Everyone say stump. I think this is, uh, offers us a bit of hope when uh, not only for King Nebuchadnezzar, but also for us when we experience correction and rebuke and punishment, the stump, right? There's the, the roots. Notice he says, leave the stump and the roots. Why? Because if those are intact, then new life can come. And we see that as, uh, as, as, as King Nebuchadnezzar comes back to the Lord. And bound uh, with a band of iron and bronze and in the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him, circle that word him, because now we know that this tree is talking about a person. So uh, this gives us an indication of what is being said. Let him graze with the beasts and on the grass of the earth, and let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast, and let seven times pass over. And most scholars believe this is talking about seven years. And this decision is by the decree of the watcher and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know, this is a key phrase right here, you can circle underline this, in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men, gives to whomever he will and sets over the lowest of men. So this is the first of three references to the same exact phrase and wording of this phrase in each instance of not only his vanity and pride, but also his insanity and rebuke, and then also his humility at the end of the chapter. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belshazzar, declare its interpretation. Since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the Holy Spirit of God is in you. So here we're introduced to this uh, vision, this dream that uh, the king has about this tree. And Daniel's actually going to go on to give the interpretation. He's very troubled by it. But we have the tree, we have the tragedy, and we have the trunk, right? The tree is this symbol of strength and, and power and dominion and success and prosperity. Obviously, it's going to point to King Nebuchadnezzar. But then the tragedy, right? The cutting down of this tree. Uh, you know, I think as we're talking about pride and and uh, the dangers or the perils of pride, there's many scriptures that warn us about that. Uh, in fact, one scripture talks about how God hates pride. You might be thinking, well, God hates something? I thought God was love. Well, there's a scripture in the, in the Old Testament that talks about how God hates a haughty look and a, and a prideful heart. And so I, I think that pride is really at the root of every type of sin and of evil. I mean, you go back even to Lucifer as the most beautiful angel leading worship in heaven, and what happened to his heart? It was lifted up in pride. And so he was brought low. Uh, so God hates pride and, and, and arrogance, but we're also told in uh, Proverbs 16, verse 18, that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So we're told in this verse that a fall is imminent, when pride is rampant, when there's pride that's in our heart. It's interesting, just on a personal note, you know, over this past uh, summer, I had the opportunity to have a, a, an extended time of, of, of rest and, and renewal. And uh, one of the things that the Lord really encouraged, or not encouraged, challenged me on was pride. Pride in my heart. 
because uh, I think that many times we can do things for the attention of other people or for the, the appreciation or for the thanks. We do things to get thanked by other people. And I thought, man, why am I doing this? Because God's opinion should be the only, ma- uh, only opinion that matters most. And so I, I, there's a potential in each one of our hearts to allow this type of pride to take root. And so even James talks about in his letter in the New Testament that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he will lift you up in due time. So as we talked about this cutting down or this rebuke or this correction that, uh, that takes place, what happened in the king's heart was that he became corrupt through the vanity and through the pride. But ultimately, this, uh, this stump is preserved and the roots are, are, are protected. And I think, as I mentioned, that God's correction is never intended to destroy us, but to change us. You might be thinking, well, you don't know what is going on in my life. It really feels like God is trying to squish me or take me out. And that's just not the case. If you're, a, if you're um, in the family of God, he's your heavenly father. He's not there to squash you, to just take you out. He's there to change your heart. And sometimes that, that discipline is difficult and hard. But uh, it's to change us, not to destroy us. God's not about destroying people. In fact, he uh, says that his patience brings about salvation. And the longer he preserves with us, he's very long-suffering. Now, what's interesting about that long-suffering is that Jesus, well, God, through Jesus, is very long-suffering with us, but God was very long-suffering with King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and there seems to be a point in which God steps in as he's been giving us this grace and this mercy. God's grace and mercy never goes away. But he, he will, like he did with Pharaoh, allow Pharaoh to heart, harden his heart. So the scripture says, don't harden your heart against God. When you, today is the day of salvation. When you hear God warning you and correcting you and disciplining you in, in your heart, and I say you, I mean, let me just throw myself in the mix in all of this. I'm, I'm, I'm not talking down to anybody, but uh, just bringing this point to remind us that uh, when, he, when he brings this to remembrance or there's conviction in our lives, then we shouldn't take that lightly. We should consider how God is speaking to us because he wants to change us. And so the story continues here um, as Daniel provides the interpretation. Remember, he's standing before the king. Daniel then, in verse 19, whose name was Belshazzar, was astonished for a time. And his thoughts troubled him. I'm sure he cared for King Nebuchadnezzar. And knowing the interpretation, he realized, well, what's going to happen to the kingdom? What's going to happen to this man? What's going to happen to, you know, people? Because he's going to be taken out and driven from uh, his, uh, his position. And so the king spoke and said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. And Belshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt and whose, whose branches, the birds of the air, had their home. It is you. Everyone circle that phrase right there. It is you. Man, this is... There's the dagger, right? Here's the, 
the, um, the arrow shot straight to the heart. You remember uh, when King David committed sin of adultery and of murder with Bathsheba and her husband, how the prophet Nathan came to him and told him this story about a shepherd who had a, sh- a sheep and he was killed by somebody else. And Nathan, the prophet, said to David, what should be done to this man? And David said, all the full judgment should be upon him. He should be taken out. And then Nathan said, this man is you. And sometimes there's those moments where the finger pointing to others comes back to us. It is you. You're the one that this is about. And so that was pretty traumatic and dramatic for Daniel 1 to say this to a king who could have just taken him out. But uh, this is very convicting. King, it is you. You have grown and become strong. For the greatness has grown and reached to the heavens and the dominion to the ends of the earth. So following on uh, throughout the, the verses, he talks about how you're the one who, because of your pride, is lifted up. Or you're the one who is being corrected by God. It will be cut down for seven years. You're going to be driven mad and insane. But there will come a time where you will be restored by the Lord if you acknowledge and confess him as the most high. Now look at verse 27, though. After giving the interpretation to the king, notice what Daniel does. This man who is full of the Holy Spirit, he gives him some advice. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sin. Would you just circle that phrase right there and underline it? Talking about sin and God's punishment isn't necessarily the most easy thing to talk about. Or maybe most people aren't talking about. But this is just powerful. This is an encouragement for a break off your sin. He's talking to the king. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. God is so long-suffering with us that when there is the conviction of the Lord, that we can go to Him. He, the Bible says that we confess our sin. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But look at verse 28. It goes on to say, And all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of, notice, 12 months. He was walking around in the royal palace of Babylon, and the king spoke, saying, looking at all of his empire, is not this great Babylon that I have built for my royal dwelling through my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? A couple of thoughts here. One is you can see, obviously, the king's heart filled up with pride. I don't know why he didn't consider this dream and this interpretation, but notice the time stamp, 12 months, that God gave this man 12 months to come to him and to repent and to confess. And Daniel here is saying, look, I think this is God working in your life. And God is long-suffering. In fact, there's a, the, the name of God. You know, uh, Who was it? Was it Moses? I think it was Moses said, I want to know your name. And the name was declared as long-suffering, that God is long-suffering and merciful and compassionate, extending his grace to generation upon generation. And that is so very true. Uh, and, and yet he's, he's given this window of time to come back. And Daniel says, would you, would you repent? Would you turn back to the Lord? And I think this is, like, this is a, a reminder for us 
to not wait until later to get right what God is warning you and I about today. Don't wait until later because now is the time. Now is the moment. And across this room, uh, collectively, we can just ask the Lord God, what are you warning me about? What are you talking to me about? What is it in my life that I, can, I know right now very clearly that this is not consistent with you and your, your word and your character? And we think, well, there'll be some time or there, I, I, I'll do it at some other time. Don't wait until later to get right what God is warning you about right now. And, uh, you know, it's this pride that, that the king has. And I think the pride, uh, just like the king, is full of blind spots. And that can lead us into many different danger zones. And it was that case for the king. But uh, here he is looking at all. Notice the words there. I, my, right? The Bible says it's not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's not in our strength, our ability, building our kingdom, our world, our, our lives, but it's in the, the Lord, he's in control, submitting, as we sang in that song, submitting to him. But the story goes on to talk about how at that very moment, while the word was still on the king, verse 31, king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed. They shall drive you away for a time until you know, look at secondly, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he pleases. In that very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning, concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me and I blessed the Most High. And I praised and honored him who lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven. And among all the inhabitants of earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? And notice the king is restored. His kingdom is uh, is renewed, and he goes on to say in the last verse, verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all, uh, of, those who, who, all, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice. And those who walk in pride he is able to put down. Notice the summary statement there. Here's the moral of the story. He says it himself, all those who walk in in pride, he is able to put down. So the story, or uh, the, the, the vision, or the dream is fulfilled. He's driven uh, away. And I, I wonder how many countless uh, tragedies or uh, problems we would avoid if we walked in humility, if we walked in surrender and submission to the Lord. But sometimes it does take the correction and the d discipline of the Lord in our lives. And I think the more that we submit to the sovereignty of God, the less we are inclined to satisfy the sin that's in our lives. Or more clearly for King Nebuchadnezzar to lift up his eyes and see. Sometimes when we see 
the truth of God, we're able to see more of the truth of our sin. Maybe the closer that we get to God, the clearer our sin becomes. And that's the case for King Nebuchadnezzar. This sin, to break it off. And uh, there's this encouragement to take seriously. Well, Daniel says to the king, break off your sin. But Jesus says to his disciples, cut off your sin. You remember when he said that to his disciples? If if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter into uh, heaven maimed than to have your whole body cast into hellfire. And it's a very serious thing that, that Jesus says to us to go to extreme measures to take very seriously the, the small compromises and the effects of sin like pride or the small little beetle burrowing its way into our lives to take very seriously. And sometimes it's just cutting it off completely, breaking away from that sin. And so as Daniel encourages the king, I think the Lord does that for us today. To not allow a stubborn reluctance to keep you and I from a speedy repentance. We can be very stubborn with the Lord. Say, oh, that's not that bad. Or, okay, well, I'll deal with it at a later time. No, the Lord is calling us to speedy repentance. To not take um, God's grace in vain. There's a scriptures in the New Testament that talk about, well, if God is full of grace, then I can just keep on sinning so that grace may abound. Whoa, be very careful about that. That's not how the Bible teaches our relationship with God should be. It should be a speedy uh, uh, repentance, and our repentance is fully surrendering and submitting and changing of our ways to the Lord. So in following this progression, we're going to have our worship team come on up. And just make a couple of closing thoughts here on King Nebuchadnezzar's journey from pride to humility, from rebuke to rejoice. Notice it's a, it's a, it's a journey that I, I believe every single one of us are on. First, we see the sin, and because of that, there is a rebuke, a correction, a conviction, if you will, that comes. For Nebuchadnezzar, it was in the form of a dream. For you, it might be just in the quietness of your own heart, the Holy Spirit convicting you of certain things. Or it could be that you have some Daniels in your life, some men and women who are full of the Holy Spirit and who encourage you to draw close to the Lord and make these sort of changes because it's going to bring about holiness and purity and cleansing and goodness uh, in your life. There's the rebuke, the correction, the discipline, and through that what happens? A repentant heart. Repentance is not just feeling sorry for our sin. It's turning away from that and turning towards the Lord. He lifts up his eyes. He sees the condition of his heart. He sees the majesty of God. And he honors and he worships and he praises. God restores. Just like that tree that we cut down at our property. When we removed the threat and the danger that was killing the top of the tree. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned this, but after we cut the tree down, we noticed new, lo- new growth coming. And now there's this big bush of a tree coming out of it. In the same way, if God can cut away, break off, remove that type of sin, then he can bring new life, new hope, freshness, and new growth in your life that is going to be pleasing and honoring to him. So with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, we thank you. 
We thank you for, well, I don't, maybe some of this is a bit hard to talk about. Sin and challenges of pride and arrogance. But I think it reminds us, encourages us, challenges us, especially as we are about to partake of communion. As, as um, Paul says, don't, don't take it lightly. And examine your heart. Maybe there's something that you've been putting off. Don't wait any further. Don't be reluctant to come to the God who is full of grace and of mercy and of compassion and of long-suffering. Because if you continue to harden your heart, God won't walk away from you, but your heart will become so hard that you don't want God anymore. You don't want to be in a position where we harden our hearts and God allow us to go the way that we want to go. Oh, Lord Jesus, would you soften our hearts to the working of your Holy Spirit in our lives that we would be changed and made new. Would we pick up this mantle of humility in our lives and repentance and surrender that we could confess in our lives you are most high. You are in control. I, I humble myself before you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.